Hi, it's Matt Weaver with BibleTruthProject.com. Today I'm going to be discussing uh, the study of Enoch. And what interested me in this subject is, you know, we read about Enoch in the Bible. I didn't really know that much about him. There's some apocryphal books out there that use the title Enoch, but I never knew quite what to trust one way or the other up and down. And never never really gave an eye to it or whatever, since it's not really biblical. Uh, it's not biblical canon, if you will. But uh, this last, about a week and a half ago, I was in Florida. And on the way down, I decided to download the Book of Enoch and just listen to it since I was doing something. And so I went on Audible, found a translation, and, and I listened to it. And actually was pretty fascinated by what it said. And and first of all, I'm just going to reference a few biblical verses that we find in the Bible referencing Enoch and some things to look for. Um, first of all, there are several references in the genealogies when you get into Genesis, but then towards the end, Genesis 5, 24, it says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So like Elijah, Enoch was a man who was he was a prophet, who was taken by God. And later in Luke, um, it, it basically, it, it reiterates, so Luke 3.37, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared. So they're re, re, uh, reiterating what, what Genesis is saying, just to confirm new and old. And then Hebrews uh, 11.5 is really a key verse, and it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He was not found because God translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Very interesting. Now Jude in 1.14 says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now, the translation I used was one I just found on Audible. It was, a, it was a, uh, uh, I guess, a student who's very interested in Enoch and studying that and did his best to translate an accurate translation of the book we have today, what we call Enoch. Uh, it's, it's entitled The Book of Enoch. It's, it was read by, or it's by Robert Bagley III. And it was a very fascinating book. I'll be honest with you, it was very fascinating. It was far more accurate um, in biblical detail than what I expected it to be. A lot of those books become very mystical, and this really wasn't. This really was not very mystical in the sense it was it was straightforward. I don't know what I call it inspired in the definition of what we use for scripture, but it definitely is a book worth looking at because it gives us a glimpse. It gives us more information about what they faced in those days. Now, there's sections to the book of Enoch, the first section, which is, to me, is probably the most interesting section. It's the one with the most most uh, spiritual content, if you will. That section, they know, is several thousand years old. They have elements of that section that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which, of course, were the was the, the Essenes who lived in Qumran. So we have biblical dating, you know, of a book... 2,500 years ago, approximately, uh, that this book existed, at least that section of it. And then the other sections, they can't, they could, of course, didn't find fragments like that, but the tradition is it was a book that is definitely was here before Jesus. And it was one they understood and knew in uh, the Apostles' Day, because when Jude quotes this, uh, 
it says the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. When you read that, it's one of the first lines, if I remember right, in, in the book of Enoch. The first lines is, and behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. So it's the same book that Jude is referencing, at least that first section. Now, why is this important? Well, Enoch really, in the book, gives a great overall picture of what's happening and why it's happening and how it's happening. What are the powers that be and the forces that work? And it really corroborates what the Bible says. It just gives it an, a different perspective. If if we believe what the Bible says, so Enoch lived before the modern era. He lived in the time uh, before the flood, and he was a righteous man. According to the book of Jasher, he was a teacher of righteousness who walked the earth. Whether that book is accurate or not, like I said, those are extra biblical. I don't look them as inspired scripture, but they are historical books who do give information to to the biblical narrative, if I can say it that way. And anyway, so what happens is Enoch um, is sharing with, in different section, he's sharing with his son Methuselah, and, other, and otherwise he's just prophesying things that the Lord showed him. And what he sees is a group of angels who are called the watchers. Okay, we may look at the, we may look at them as guardian angels. We use that term guardian angels. And uh, in reality, they according to the book of Enoch, it is the watchers. And the watchers were angels who were commanded to watch over man, to basically if you will be ministering spirits. And they were led astray uh by what they saw and they wanted to be a part of it. They saw saw what man was doing and, and they wanted to be a part of it. And so they corrupted flesh. They, they joined women and they reproduced with women. Now, we know the Bible does say uh, in, let me just find the reference real quick. In uh, Genesis 6, 4, that there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God... Okay, now we can debate what that means, but this is just the reference. Sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Renown is not a word that we use in in today's sense. It's really referring to shame. Renown means shame. Although it's by implication, it's it's somebody of authority, somebody who's famous, but it's it's a shameful uh, existence. And I've really had to look when I look at the mythology that existed in the ancient world. When you look at Greek mythology, look at uh, uh, the Babylonian mythology. They talk about kings who lived before the flood, and they were half god, half man. And in Greek mythology, they are half God, half man. Uh, Apollo, uh, I don't know all the different ones. I've never really studied into it that much. I just know the basic references. In in Roman mythology, which is basically Greek mythology with different names, there's Jupiter and, and et cetera. Okay, I'm not going to get into it. It's not necessary. So that is, in reality, uh, I believe is since, how would I say this? Man corrupted themselves, whether it was men or angels, I don't know. Enoch says it was angels who fell, and they said, and he references them in the Watchers. 
that is also corroborated in the Book of Jubilees, which is also an apocryphal book, which basically talks about the Jubilees from the beginning until, until the time of the children of Israel and the destruction of the temple. I don't know. Again, these are extra-biblical sources. It's just information that helps the biblical narrative. But the story continues that man got so corrupt and so evil in, uh, in their existence that God decided he was going to destroy it. I've often, I've often said the reason the Bible, I think, is vague, I think Moses was vague on purpose, is because it's not really necessary that we know what kind of evil. All I can say, it was bad enough. You had a merging of spiritual and carnal, which does not work in the kingdom. Okay, Everything we've ever learned from Jesus is that you cannot uh, please God. Uh, the carnal mind is enmity with against God. There we go. And it's, it's like the enemy. The, the natural thinking of man and the spirituality that God gives does not combine, does not work together. And I think what we have in that time is you had spiritual beings. We, I think we were created physical, but we were definitely spiritual beings who were corrupted in their flesh. And now you have the merging of a spiritual being like an angel and a and corruptible flesh like a man, and you, you create a monster, in other words. You create a being who is an absolute monster. And the, the report is... Enoch said that these these beings were 300 cubits tall. Um, I don't know what his measure of a cubit was. If it is what the Egyptians use, it was 14 inches times 300. You can just imagine, you know, we're talking monstrous. Imagine a 100-foot or an 80-foot tall man. Like these were men of renown, giants, truly were giants. And... It just gives us a picture of the type of corruption. Uh, Enoch goes on to say that these men totally stripped the world of its resources and its wealth and just destroyed it. They were evil. All they did was evil, evil, evil. It got bad enough in Genesis that then that God said that it repented him that he created man. There was just nothing but evil, and all they ever did and think was evil. And so God chose Moses. Now Enoch gives a little detail to Moses because he was still alive when Moses, or not Moses, Noah was born. And uh, it says that when he was born, that he glowed. And it was like, it was unreal. It was like, what, what is this? And, and the, the father of, of uh, Noah, and I'm not even sure what his name was, went to Enoch to ask him, what, what does this mean? I'm scared. It's, this is not a normal child. Enoch said this is the one who's going to save the world because God is going to destroy it. So it's interesting that it, it looks like Noah had, at least from this record, Noah was destined to be the savior of the world at that time, uh, even from his birth. And and I guess, you know, what does that mean? I don't know. There's different things you can look at, but that's, that's just an aspect of it. So years later when Noah... Uh, receives the visions or the calling of God to build his boat and ark, you know, he responds. So he was chosen for the, for the task. But we just want to, from there, he basically goes on and he starts displaying different prophecies. He sees that's going to happen to mankind. It's going to happen to the world. What God is going to do, he prophesies the Messiah uh, and in fact, that is why the Jewish people today reject the book. It used to actually, I believe, 
if I remember right, it was part of certain parts, certain types or certain old collections of what we would call Old Testament or Tanah. Uh, and at one point, and then the Sanhedrin uh, basically disallowed the book because of its messianic writings, because it described too much Jesus. But this book was written before Jesus even came. So there's there's tremendous messianic uh, implications in the prophecies that are written in, in the book. Uh, it describes Jesus so perfectly. Um, and so that's why they were offended. It is considered scripture in the Ethiopian church. Ethiopians uh, have it as part of their Bible. It's, it's, it's in their book. So it's, it's a book that's it's borderline. Okay, can I say it that way? It's borderline. But it does give us a, a picture of what God is doing overall in his redemption of the world. Uh, he made man, man had sinned, and now Enoch saw the picture of what was going to happen in his day. Here we sit thousands of years later, and and we know Enoch existed, and he was righteous, and it, and it happened. And many of the things that are written in the book, whether, whether they're accurate or not, we have no way of knowing. Of course, nobody was alive or is alive today that would have saw Enoch write it. We just have to, it, whether take it in faith, whether or not it was his work. We know it's an old book. Um... That's all we know. But what does this mean for us as people? Uh, I think I look at it again and I, I see as, and I'll just give an example. You know, we have people today who are, who are godly people, godly men who write books and we read the books. You know what? They're not scripture, but they're inspired and they help give us the picture of what God is doing. It's, if you will, it's our living epistles. It's, it's, it's what we're experiencing now as people. We read those books. And I think these books are perhaps in the same light. These are these are things that were written that people saw in their day. Were they completely accurate? Maybe not. Were they completely right? Maybe not. But we can draw some wisdom from them. Uh, it's amazing the thought of if it is a legitimate book. It's amazing to think that Enoch saw all that he did and how perfectly it matches to the story that we have in the Bible, even before the Bible was written. You know, Enoch potentially wrote this book long before Genesis was ever written, long before any of the Bible was written. And for it to to corroborate what the Bible says, the narrative, it complements it, uh, is amazing. So check it out and look at it and, and if, read it if you want. Look at bits and pieces. I know there's different translations of it. Um, I, I think it's a fascinating work. Um, it deepened, I would, I would say this, it deepened my understanding a little bit of what's going on. It did go on to explain the angels and the fallen angels and how that, how that works. And that God, who these, these men, half man, half spiritual beings, were bound to earth. And the Bible references to the spirits in prison. And Jesus even went to minister to the spirits in prison. Uh, it refers to these being chained to earth, that they are spirits uh, who are basically the demons and things that we encounter in the world today, the spirits of of uh, of these beings. And I don't know how else to describe it, but if you go to these old places uh, in Israel or the, or the world, you see temples built to these half-God, half-man uh beings all over the world in the ancient world and you had the greeks who built temples to apollo and to aphrodite and to all these different 
half man, half God beings. And it's Enoch basically spoke about this happening, that this was what God said you're going to, that's going to be your dwelling place for now. But then it also describes the end. It describes at the end, at the judgment, and Enoch is very much talks about judgment, the judgment that they will be cast out into uh, everlasting judgment. And so we see again, just like the biblical narrative, we see again that the the biblical narrative is right. So anyway, that's all I have for today. Hope it wasn't too complicated for you. I uh, just thought I'd give you a little insight into what I was reading and what I've been thinking, and that's it.